This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Malik Kurohit. Dr. Barrett's a chief medical information officer and one of the brightest people we know. He's about to give a keynote speech on artificial intelligence and precision medicine and sort of where it stands and why it's so important. Dr. Pirohit, can you take a moment to introduce yourself and then, then we'll talk about precision medicine, AI, and what it means. Absolutely, uh, and thank you for having me on this and for the nice compliment. Uh, uh, you guys always get some of the, the leaders in, in the world on so many topics, so it's an honor to be a part of this. Uh, as far as me, I uh, serve as uh, the Associate Chief Medical Information Officer as well as the Clinical Innovation Lead for Innovation at University Hospitals in Cleveland, Ohio. And we serve uh, the Northeast Ohio area, over a million lives uh, served in this uh, geography. Um, and my role is to think strategically uh, about uh, what goals we're trying to achieve as an organization, uh, better patient care, patient safety, quality, um, and always pushing forward with innovation, and then how to leverage technology to achieve those goals. And so I bridge the gap between the organizational side and the leveraging of the technology. Thank you. I mean, one of the things people, not everybody realizes, University Hospitals is one of the brilliant systems in the country, uh, one of the largest recipients of NIH funding. And, and I think, you know, 22 hospitals, 23 hospitals, and just a really innovative and smart system. So thank you. Let me just let me let you continue on, Dr. Pirohit, and talk about, I know you're giving a keynote talk soon on AI and precision medicine. What are some of the things you're thinking about in that area? Yeah, thank you. Great question. Um, so I think to me, the two are related uh, in the larger context of what we'd call say, decision support, clinical decision support uh, for uh, people taking care of patients. And, and they're similar, but, but different. But I, and I think they offer a lot of different advantages. So for example, precision medicine, you know, often, you know, people call that personalized medicine. Uh, but I'll say the difference between the two is that precision medicine is using uh, data about the individual patient, particularly genomic data, to understand how a patient will um, react to disease, um, what are the risk factors for disease, say cancer, for example, or Alzheimer's, uh, how they might um, you know, react to a certain treatment or medication, what the outcomes might be, and using that final, more granular level of data for the patient to really uh, provide a better treatment option for the patient. And it's not fully personalized in the sense that we're not doing a new treatment for every individual patient, but we are trying to be more precise in the sense that we're trying to match the profile of the patient with the best treatment options out there so that we achieve success as early as possible and reduce some of the trial and error that we often have to do in medicine. And then AI is, you know, at the stage that we're at right now is similar concept is looking at large sets of data, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of patients to find patterns in the data that can help us solve for what patients need. And it's a way to connect uh, our research studies that often happen on a population level to the individual patient in front of me through that data. And it's not perfect. It's, uh, it does have many areas of improvement. Um, and you can certainly get into that uh, if you like, Mr. Becker. But uh, it does offer both of them, precision medicine as well as AI, certainly offer the potential and hope for a much better way of doing things in the future. 
and talk about where, what areas. I know, for example, in oncology, there's more and more movement towards precision medicine and AI. Where are the areas that you see this making the quickest jumps the soonest? Any thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll talk about a couple of things we've done at uh, UH um, in this area. Uh, one is uh, looking at um, uh, treatments for depression uh, using precision medicine. And one of the frontline uh, initial therapies for treatment for depression is a class of medications called SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And these are, you know, I think people probably know them by their uh, trade names like Prozac, Selexa, Lexapro. Um, and these are uh, medications that are the first line treatment uh, things that people think about for depression. And the, they're very similar in themselves. However, every person will react a little bit differently to each medication, whether they metabolize it differently, whether they have a, a longer or shorter half-life in the system, whether the drug um, you know, will have a 10% effect, 50% effect, whatever it may be. Um, and precision medicine, you know, for someone's genetic code, this is an area that we can certainly have a better educated um, analysis of what that would be. And so let's say we would normally start with uh, medication A, uh, but then we see the genetic code and we match it to their profile and everything else. And it looks like, you know what, um, they may actually best uh, responders to the medication C. And, uh, and, and then, and if that doesn't work, then medication B, but it gives you a much better way of matching the treatment to the patient. And so it's always, you know, the practice of medicine for a reason, because all of us as humans are, are different, but it gives us a much more uh, educated way of approaching the trial and error process with patient care rather than um, having, you know, less information. And so this to me acts uh, as a lot of hope to how well we can care for patients in a, in a better, more timely, uh, more quality fashion and can expand not only from SSRIs and depression, but to everything else like anticoagulation, uh, stroke prevention, uh, cancer, uh, cancer risk screening. And so there's so many avenues as we develop more and more knowledge in this space to improve the quality of care that we provide for patients. And, and how quickly do you see this moving along? I, I know, you know, I mean, it's a long sad story, but I had a nephew that passed away with brain cancer and they were working so much further on things like this than they had ever before on the vaccines, immunotherapies and so forth. And it seemed like they were making progress, but not really quite there yet. You know, and some of this was a, the combination of that plus a very, very hard illness that the oncology community is still really struggling to try and find ways to fight. But, but how quickly is this moving along the precision medicine and AI? I mean, we talk about it in big blocks. I mean, you often hear about it based on gender lines or ethnic lines or racial lines. Um, and it does seem somewhat still inexact, but how quickly is it moving along to where it gets beyond, you know, you know, I, I certainly like from different ethnic groups, there's more, um, more likely to get Tay-Sachs disease or different types of, of diseases, uh, hypertension in other communities. But how quickly is this all moving along beyond these big groups of people you know, like you're from Eastern Europe, so you're more likely to have this. You're, you're African-American, you're more likely to have that. How quick, you're a woman, so you're more likely to have this problem versus that problem, this issue. How quickly is this moving along beyond those big blocks 
to really much more precision about a specific person or a much more narrower group than just a big, big ethnic or racial or gender clumping? Yeah, a fantastic question. And uh, first, Scott, I, I, uh, I'm sorry to hear about uh, your nephew, and I wish you all the best um, in this tough time. Um, regarding the question, I think it's a fantastic question. And, you know, I think the other, I guess, the other part I'll say here, you know, about the ethnic groups and racial racial uh, groups and, and the risk factors, you know, the one thing that's um, nice about looking at precision medicine is that it actually reduces some of the bias because, you know, as I, as it's been explained to me, a lot of our ethnic or racial sort of um, constructs are more social constructs, but don't necessarily follow the science. And in this way, with the genetic data, what we can actually do is, is instead of making hypotheses, uh, which, you know, again, that's what we had available. And that's what we did with what part of the world are you from? What exposures have you had? Uh, male, female, those are things that we can see and, and use as part of the, the data for risk factors. And, and we used the data we had. And you know, we did the best we could. But now that we have this next level with the genomic data and and especially with our improvements, I think with the ability to really get even more fine-tuned and this may actually help some of our health equity issues and some of the things that we're struggling with to really identify a risk factor based on genetic profile rather than more of a, a social construct profile, which I think is a benefit for everybody. And then your other question about where are we at in the stage? And, and it's a great question. And the, and the analogy I use often is it's sort of like the EV, the electric vehicle uh, market. You know, in, in today's world, it's like every car maker's got, the, got an EV and, and the next and the best and the latest. Um, but if you look at around 2008, 2010, nobody except maybe Tesla and, and maybe one other were doing EVs uh, because early stage, there's a lot of things that develop, the battery life, the, the infrastructure for charging, all those things. And, um, but fast forward 10, 12, 14 years, and now everyone's got an EV and it's the way to go. And I'd say it's the same thing. I'd say we're in about 2008, 2010 it, it, analogy uh, of precision medicine that uh, we've got a long ways to go, but in about 10 years, I can see us really driving this. And this is really the, the gold standard of care, not only at academic medical centers, but even um, at, at some of the smallest community hospitals that we would be using precision medicine as the standard. Well, it's certainly already the place I've seen it be tremendously valuable to, you know, and again, it's so anecdotal, but in our family, there's a gene, a genetic cancer DNA, uh, you know, mishap called Lynch syndrome. And so our family's had to have extensive, you know, testing on it to see who, who has the gene, who doesn't carry the gene. Then if you have the gene, you're doing far more often in extensive testing and screenings than if you don't have the gene. And so I've sort of seen that, and that sort of seems to be very much a piece of precision medicine AI. And you see the use cases growing and growing, but I think your point on the full strength of this is going to come in pieces and leaps and bounds, and we're still probably early stages as to how how far we're going to go with it. Because it seems like at some point we'll go quite far with it in terms of diseases, maybe more so than, you know, maybe more so than orthopedics and structure, but even the structural things, we'll probably see more of it as well. But but it seems like in terms of so many diseases, so many illnesses, it seems like the use cases will come maybe quicker, but maybe that's, maybe that's not right, because maybe with implants and so forth, you'll also be looking at much more precisely based on AI and precision medicine, 
what implant's likely to be taken well by a certain type of person. So maybe maybe my I'm just thinking out loud, so perhaps my, my assessment's not right, but it seems like there's lots of different use cases. I've seen some of them anecdotal. I've seen others tried anecdotally, not quite there yet, but it's, it's a fascinating development. I think your point in the electronic vehicle thing, that it's going to be years in the making, but at some point becomes such a core part of everything is probably right on. And it probably strikes me, it'll be at small health systems as well as large health systems, because so much will be done digitally electronically versus necessarily by having to have a... It, it, that it's a resource that can be spread pretty wide, pretty distributed pretty well. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, Scott, I'm always impressed with your uh, in-depth knowledge in so many areas. Um, and that's a fantastic analysis of, of so many areas uh, of this uh, topic. Um, and you're exactly right on. I mean, right now, you know, the starting point has been looking at risk factor screening uh, for various diseases and particularly rare diseases um, because we, we spend a lot of time and effort finding the gene and isolating it and then you know, seeing who else may have it. And, but I think the use cases, uh, to your point, uh, have tremendous uh, growth potential with from spreading from uh, risk factor analysis to um, identifying reactions to different medications, to different treatments, to devices, um, and to looking at uh, risk factors for even common things like maybe looking at height or weight or obesity. Um, and then maybe looking at uh, and even spreading to the next level of saying, okay, if someone's prone for obesity, how do we counteract that through medication and treatment um, and make it full circle of using the genetic data to identify the risk uh, and then identifying a treatment that's catered to the patient individually. Um, and, and it's sort of like, you know, when I was a kid watching the Jetsons, uh, you would actually have treatments that were designed specifically for each individual patient. And you would just sort of slide into this glass booth, it would scan you, and then you come out with a diagnosis and a treatment plan. Um, and I'm not saying that's happening anytime soon, but uh, the concept of identifying the diagnosis and then individually, precisely and accurately uh, treating the patient with fantastic results, um, to me, that's the hope. Um, now, I'll share one you know, thing from my background. I, uh, part of my early career, I was um, in charge of putting together a brain injury center in the Department of Defense, and these are our nation's heroes. They go through, to me, I can't imagine what you know what they've been through in some of the combat and, and the IEDs and everything. And uh, we were responsible for for their care. And the struggle always was the prognosis, which is once you come in, how do I identify what your long-term outcome will be? Will you get better? Will you not get better? And there's a certain percentage of patients that that never get better. Um, and if you could at least have a prognosis and say, this is your risk factor, or this is the percentage of chance you're gonna get better. And we didn't have these tools available then, and we did what we could with lab tests and MRI scans and other things, but you know, it'd be awesome if we could predict through genetic uh, information, someone's risk factors and, and potential prognosis with injury. Um, and brain injury is a, is a hideous injury that wrecks uh, havoc not only to the individual patient but, but to the entire family and you know to, to have had something like precision medicine to take care of those patients better man that would have been amazing um and now we're progressing towards that area that you know brain injury alzheimer's um stroke heart attack all those things we can take care of much better and to me that is so gratifying to be able to work on technology that makes lives for our patients much better uh, through the technology. No, so true, so true. So you started to see lots of different areas where this is starting to move along. 
and and it, and this this um as you know this this Alzheimer thing this dementia thing and and both people oh uh, my goodness our age and older and younger as well it's just a very scary part of the aging process in our country and the amount of people that will be touching that as well totally different subject for a different day but fascinating to see what's going on with um <laughs> these these tools and and those things i mean fascinating yeah absolutely i mean it's i i think i'm really um excited by the potential that's on the horizon you know we talk and often talk about healthcare and and uh some of the the brokenness of our system and i think you originally had a post you know on linkedin which i i loved i mean it's there is uh, obviously challenges in our healthcare system, to put it mildly, but there's a lot of fantastic people working very passionately and very diligently to provide better ways for patient care. And it gives me hope uh, that we can actually get to a point where we are doing true health care rather than disease care at some point for, for all, of our, all of our patients. Yes. No, it, let's, let's hope so. I mean, let's hope so. It, it, it's just a fascinating. Let's hope that they country, the nation supports all these efforts towards AI and precision medicine, and hopefully we'll get there sooner rather than later, because I do agree with you that it holds so much promise, and we see it in fits and starts really starting to make a difference, and there are, seems like there are big, big opportunities. Dr. Bahirat, always a pleasure to visit with you. I, I always gain something. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for joining us today, and again, University Hospital's brilliant, brilliant system. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Always an honor and a pleasure to be here.